<sighs> Craig, you stress me out. Good evening, beautifuls. I'm Hannah. And I'm Grace. And this is the True Crime Tea Hour. I'm just going to do a different tune every single time so that it messes you up. He's going to make one up. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mess me up. It just makes me giggle every time. I it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just start turning into like Phantom of the Opera eventually. Um. <laughs> Maybe eventually I will be able to like turn that sound into an actual <laughs> song that I can use in the podcast. <laughs> one day. One day. So Grace, what are you drinking today? I am actually drinking a Moscow Mule that I made, and it's pretty fucking good. Yum. I haven't had a Moscow Mule in a very long time. Uh, no, I made you drink one when we went out. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because uh, that place had really good ones, and I was like, try it. I know I lost about 100 bucks that day. <laughs> <laughs> that was a crazy night. Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, what are you drinking, Hannah? I am drinking some delicious mint tea. Ooh, nice. Yeah, just going for something calming. Yummy. So I actually have a quick sip for us today. Uh, I think Grace and I decided that I will be doing the quick sip this episode. And then next week, Grace is going to have a quick sip for us. Yep. So so uh, to save on time, I'll, go, I'll do mine this episode. Grace will do hers next episode. Let's be honest. It's mostly because I forgot. <laughs> I was trying to be all smooth for you. <laughs> I like owning my shame. <laughs> all right. Own your shame. I almost dropped my tea on my laptop. Good job. <laughs> great start. We're doing great. We are professionals. Mm -hmm. So for my quick sip, it's actually about a case back in 2009 that recently got solved. So... Ooh. Uh, authorities in South Carolina said they have made an arrest in connection with the disappearance of Brittany Drexel. Do you remember this disappearance? She got pretty famous there for a couple of years due to there's uh, some security footage. It's like the last footage of her walking through her hotel lobby in Myrtle Beach. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that sounds familiar. So the 17-year-old went missing during a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach in 2009. At an afternoon news conference, Georgetown County Sheriff Carter Weaver said they had charged Raymond Moody, age 62, with murder, kidnapping, and first-degree criminal sexual misconduct, all of which investigators believe occurred April 25, 2009, the day that Brittany disappeared. Damn. Brittany was last seen in April 2009 when she was walking between hotels in Myrtle Beach. Her boyfriend, who had stayed home in Rochester, New York, became concerned when she stopped answering his text that day. It is believed that Brittany was kidnapped that night by Raymond Moody, who raped and killed her before burying her body in the woods the next day, only 35 miles from where she was taken. It's sad. 
Moody is charged with obstructing justice for concealing and or disposing of evidence of his crime. The reason why he was caught is because on May 11th of this year, the FBI recovered remains, which were positively identified as Brittany Drexel through DNA and dental records. Investigators believe she was buried out there April 26, 2009, so the next day. Wow. The FBI is being really secretive about how they found her remains. So I have no idea how it is that they came across them. Weird. Usually they're just like, yeah. oh yeah, a jogger in the morning, you know. Yeah. It's <laughs> always a jogger in the morning. It's always a jogger in the morning. <laughs> don't jog in the morning, guys. That's how you find bodies. Yeah, exactly. You don't need that shit in your life. No. The arrest warrant for Moody alleges that he killed Brittany by means of manual strangulation. Mm. And I have a quote to end this quick sip from Brittany's mother, Dawn. Dawn said, Today marks the beginning of a new chapter. The search for Brittany is now a pursuit of Brittany's justice. Wow. So it's a sad one, but I think it's good that her family is getting closure. Yeah. Not knowing what happened to your daughter for 13 years. Yeah, that's brutal. Nice that it's over. Yeah. Our love and wishes go out to the family. Yeah. Besides a couple of quotes to the media, they've been kind of processing and grieving this very privately. And I think that they have every right to do that. So I'm, we probably won't be doing a case on Brittany Drexel for uh, quite a while. I think it's important to allow the family to grieve. Yeah, I agree. And for our justice system to do what it does. Yeah. I just think it's a pretty big piece of news though in the true crime community i think a lot of people have speculated what had happened to her it was just this horrible human being who decided to take her life man so i guess i am starting this episode on a little bit of a bummer it's a good bummer i guess it's a good bummer yeah i'm glad she was found and i'm glad yeah. that they've arrested the yeah. fucker who did this yeah all right, all right. <laughs> Starting on a peppy note. <laughs> so for this week's case, we're actually going to go back to the Southwest with this one. Oof. We're heading back to Albuquerque. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I believe this is our second case in this insane town, which, you know, once you start looking up true crime in Albuquerque. It's just a lot. There's a lot of it. <laughs> There's a There's lot. so of much. It. Now, I know I told you last week that I was covering this case, uh, but I didn't go into any detail. And to be honest, I forgot. I forgot okay. what case we're doing. <laughs> so this week we are doing the case of the Hollywood video murders. Right. Oh, right, 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 right. Mm, that's that other thing I have to look up. Anyway, that's not a now thing. Yep. I came across this case because I was talking to somebody about renting videos. You know, yeah. back in the early 2000s, I used to go with one of my best friends every single weekend, go to Blockbuster, rent a movie. Get a couple of energy drinks. You guys, you were obsessed with bad, like, B-horror movies. Bad. Like, the worst that we could find. Mm -hmm. The just utter, low-budget, low-quality horror movies that made no sense. And we would get energy drinks and snacks, and we would go back to her place, and we would make mashed potatoes with ranch and corn in it. Like, instant mashed potatoes with ranch and corn, and just eat that and drink Red Bulls and watch terrible horror movies. And that was all thanks to Blockbuster. <laughs> Good old Blockbuster. Oh, Good old Blockbuster. The days. So when 
me and this other person were reminiscing. They looked up, you know, Hollywood video and Blockbuster. And this case actually popped up because it's literally called the Hollywood video murders. Mm -hmm. Essentially, this case is based a lot around eyewitness accounts of the two individuals who committed this crime. Uh, Those individuals obviously being the murderers. I'm going to be going over quite a bit of he said, she said, and they totally contradict each other in a lot of points because they don't want to get caught for this crime. Yeah. Unfortunately, no one is entirely sure what happened that night because neither of the individuals seem to be totally honest or trustworthy. And this does end up leading to some lack of justice, but not a ton. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And and I'll go more into that as we get to those points. But let's return to Albuquerque, New Mexico for the case of the Hollywood Video Store murders. So to start off this episode, I actually want to give a shout out to the podcast True Consequences, True Crime. The podcaster Eric Carter Landon does an amazing job talking about the New Mexico criminal justice system and its failures in this case. This case is also not covered anywhere else. He is the only other person that I have found who covers this case. Wow. So I'm not going to be going too in-depth about the issues during this case surrounding the politics and criminal justice system. He does a really good job of that. I actually think everybody who's listening should go listen to his episode. I have linked it in our show notes, so please go check it out and send some love to another true crime podcaster. He does a really good job, and he only covers New Mexico cases. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I liked his stuff a lot. I was very impressed. Is he local or? He is local. I think the reason his podcast is called True Consequences, True Crime. Ah, TRC. Yep. New Mexico actually has a city that's called Truth or Consequences. City is is being kind. It's a town. (laughs) It's a village. Uh, It's a place. Truth or Consequences is actually very famous in Mm -hmm. the true crime world because of one very specific case, and that is the Toy Box Killer. Yep. Which Grace and I, I think, have mentioned in the past, we do want to cover him. Yes. Eventually, you know, we would love to get into some of the larger serial killers. The Toy Box Killer especially, though, Jesus Christ, takes a lot of energy. That's going to take a lot of prep. (laughs) And a lot of mental strength. Yeah. Him and his uh, girlfriend did a lot of bad. Just remember, we cope with humor. And or tea. Yep. On March 3rd, 1996, around 2 a.m., two individuals, a male and a female, entered a Hollywood video store in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The next morning, uh, Sunday, March 3rd, Employees of the Hollywood video store arrived at 9.30 a.m. and discovered the bodies of three employees, 19-year-old Zachary Blacklock, 18-year-old Jawanda Castillo, and 30-year-old Mylin Deothi, who had each been shot in the back of the head three times. On March 4th, George and Pauline McDougall, Zachary's grandparents, who were scheduled to pick up Zachary at 2 a.m. the day before from the video store, were found in the Sandia Mountains east of Albuquerque near their car. Each had died of multiple gunshot wounds. Three gunshot wounds to the head feels very excessive. And very specific. Yeah. So 
what the hell happened at the Albuquerque Hollywood video store at 2 a.m.? To answer that, we actually are going to roll the clock back a little bit. On February 23rd, 1996, a man and a woman robbed a Max Steak in the Rough restaurant in Albuquerque. An employee identified the woman as 41-year-old Esther Beckley, and with her was 28-year-old Shane Harrison. Now, Esther and Shane were both recently part of a prisoner's early release program that New Mexico had in the 90s in order to fix prison overpopulation. The program is no longer in effect, but if it were not for that program, Esther and Shane would still have been prison instead of committing this first robbery at the steakhouse and the crime that we're going forward to discuss. Like I said, more details on that program, you can listen to True Consequences True Crime. That podcaster goes much more in-depth about the politics around that program. Esther later testified that she and Shane planned and carried out that robbery armed with a BB gun that looked like a 45 caliber gun. Two witnesses also testified that Shane had told each of them that he had robbed the restaurant. So Shane and we will find Esther both really liked to talk to people about the crimes they committed after they did so. So like, you know, mistake number one, just... Maybe don't. Maybe don't. Maybe maybe when you commit a crime, don't be a fucking loudmouth about it. Idiots. Because the thing is, is you talk to people, they hang out with people who are like them, who are yeah. willing to sell out. Fucking snitches. Fucking snitches. Exactly. So they're not talking to people who are really trustworthy. Mind you, I don't really want them to be trustworthy. I kind of like that they're all telling on each other. True. It's helpful. It's They're stupid. <laughs> They're, yeah, exactly. Once they're caught, Esther and Shane just blame each other. You're going to hear this a lot in terms of the he said, she said. Wow. Oh, that'll be that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. According to Esther, after the restaurant robbery, Shane bought a Tech 9 9mm semi-automatic pistol and ammunition and also shotgun ammunition. He kept the Tech 9, the shotgun, and two BB guns, the one that was used in the restaurant robbery and one purchased following the robbery, in a duffel bag. Remind me what year this was? This was 1996. Okay. Yeah. It is pre a lot of the gun concerns that we have today. Yeah. Also, the Southwest. It's not hard to get guns. Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> A witness stated that Shane had actually told him that the next time he committed an armed robbery, he would not leave witnesses. And yet you're telling someone. I. It's just... Mm, yeah. Sorry. Yep. It's just really dumb. It, it, and that's, that's the thing about this whole case. They just love to talk. This is like the second time I've said that, but they just yep. love to talk. Now, before we jump into what happened at the Hollywood Video Store, I suggest we take a quick tea break. From this point forward in the episode, it is going to get rather graphic. I'm going to try to be careful to not go into too much detail out of respect for the victims. So we're going to take a quick calming sip of our drink, take a minute to pet a loved one, and we'll be right back here in a sec. Pet a loved one. I have to go pet my mom? I don't even know. That's weird. You said it weird. Go pet our mom. Yeah. Just go. pat her on the head. Just <laughs> Hannah said I have to pet you. Yeah. She's like, why? <laughs> what? <laughs> Stop. Actually, no, she'd be like, okay, thanks. 
Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> this is nice, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Call us a weirdo, All right. you know? Because <laughs> we are. We are weird. It's true. That's how she raised us. All right. Welcome back, beautifuls. I hope you guys had a lovely sip of tea and a good cuddle with something cuddly. Now, we're going to discuss what happened at the Hollywood Video Store. So, in the early morning of March 3rd, 1996, after the last customer left the video store, Esther approached the manager, Mylin, displaying the BB gun. Now, this is all according to Esther at this point. So, she does not have any of the actual guns. She has a BB gun in her hand. Um, She forces Mylin to go into the office at the back of the store. She told her to get the video surveillance tape, which would show her and Shane in the store. Zachary then entered the office, and Esther held him at gunpoint, instructing him not to move. Esther testified that Shane then came to the back of the store with Jawanda. Shane then took Mylin to the front of the store to get into the safe, while Esther stayed in the back with the other two employees. According to Esther, and I'm not really sure how this worked, considering she said she was in the back with the employees, Esther said that she saw a car drive up to the front of the store, and Zachary informed her that it was his grandparents coming to pick him up. Shane then told her to get into the car with the grandparents and prevent them from leaving. Esther walks out of the store and approached Pauline and George McDougall in their car. According to her, she told them that Zachary and the manager were still busy, and she asked them if she could join them in their car because she claimed her car heater didn't work. Interesting. Okay. That's, I mean, like, all right. I don't know. I don't know about that one. Yeah. It's a weird excuse. It is a weird excuse. It's also like weird to be hanging out at a blockbuster video store at 2 a.m. and then ask to get into somebody's car. Like if that was a totally normal thing, I still wouldn't think that was normal. Like if murder weren't about to be involved. It's still weird. It's still weird. So Esther testified that the McDougals were very friendly towards her, led her in the car and spoke with her a while while they waited. Pauline McDougal was in the driver's seat and George was in the front passenger seat. Esther said that they could see into the store from the car, and that she had seen Shane and Mylin walking inside the store. Now, she testified that she heard gunshots, but that the McDougals did not appear to react to the sound, so didn't appear to hear the gunshots. Mm. I'm not totally sure if I believe that. Yeah, she could just easily be lying there. Mm-hmm, Yes. Esther testified that Shane then ran out of the store carrying a plastic trash bag and the Tech 9. He threw the bag into his car and ran to Pauline McDougal's side of the grandparents' car and told her to open the window. He complied and he told her to open the door. When it appeared that she would not do so, Shane told Esther to force her to open the door. He then told Esther to exit the vehicle. He got into the back seat and he told Esther to follow them driving his car. So he got in the backseat of the grandparents' car. He is holding them at what I'm assuming is gunpoint, and Esther leaves their car and gets in Shane's car in order to follow them. So they're now leaving behind the Hollywood video store. This is just such a strange situation. It's a really strange string of events. At this point, 
those gunshots that were heard inside of the store were, according to Esther, Shane killing the three employees. That That's what I would assume, yeah. Esther testified that they drove into the mountains and that Shane and the McDougals exited their car. She stated that Shane retrieved his shotgun from his car and walked with the McDougals into the trees. At one point, George McDougal turned to Shane, and Shane then shot him and Pauline McDougal several times with the shotgun. Shane then returned to his car, threw the shotgun in, told Esther that the McDougals were still making noise. He then pulled the Tech 9 out of his pants and returned to the McDougals and shot them multiple times with the Tech 9. Jesus. That's, uh, it's fucking brutal. It is fucking brutal. So, although Esther testified at trial that Shane is the one who shot the McDougals, she also at one point had testified that she had previously told a witness that she fired the shotgun herself. Okay. All according to Esther. Yeah. She was only there. She did not kill anybody. But you'll find that later on, she ends up bragging to people that she was actually involved in the killing. So it sounds like all of the testifying is just like a bus throwing competition. Yeah. Wow. Trying to get in as little trouble as possible. Jesus. Which is fucking ridiculous. Like they just don't seem to realize that they took lives. Yeah. They killed human beings. That's the frustrating part about it. So that was stressful. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to take another moment to decompress. We're going to have another quick tea break. And then I'm going to go into some of the evidence. And I'm going to go into how Esther and Shane ended up getting caught. Just take a minute. Take a minute. some air dry clay and i'm gonna make a bear i think are you playing with clay while we're i i am my hands require movement while i focus i do that too i listen Mm -hmm. better if i'm doing something with my hands Mm -hmm. all right and we're back lovely listeners this case is a rough one grace had to turn to molding clay Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you guys took a good moment of mindfulness there. Now we're going to talk about some of the evidence and the just tiring way that these two blame each other and everyone else for this horrible murder spree. Esther testified that as Shane drove his car away from the McDougals, his car bottomed out in a rut, which if you've ever driven on a New Mexico road, there's a lot of them. Yep. That piece of Shane's car was actually left behind and found as evidence at the McDougal murder scene, which was able to essentially corroborate the testimony that at least Shane's car was there. Yeah. Now, this piece of evidence is a little weird. Shane's neighbor, who was out of town for part of the weekend of the murders, testified that he returned home on Saturday night and noticed that his black jacket was missing from his closet. But when he returned home on Sunday, the jacket had been returned. Feels unnecessary, doesn't it? Yeah. So Esther testified that Shane wore the neighbor's jacket during the robberies. Shane had a key to the neighbor's apartment and admitted that he borrowed the jacket that weekend. 
The neighbor testified that Shane had previously told him that he knew of a place which could be robbed and that people could get hurt in the robbery. Uh, it's just the the constant stupidity and weird, unnecessary shit. I Okay. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, the neighbor was with Shane when Shane bought the shotgun that was used in the murders. Oh, weird. The neighbor testified that Shane told him he was buying the shotgun to protect himself, and Shane offered contrary testimony stating that he bought the shotgun for John LaSalle. Now, John LaSalle is an important character for one very main reason. He was Esther's boyfriend at the time. Oh. After the murders, Esther told John, actually more like bragged to John, about how she had committed a burglary and killed people. John, being the lovely character that he is. As, as we know him to be. Yep. Yes. Just like all the other people surrounding Shane and Esther, um, decided to contact the police a week after the killings for the reward money, for which got him <laughs> around $100,000. Like, what did you expect? Yep. God. Fucking... Wow. John's witness statement was seven pages long and included detailed dialogue that Esther had recanted to him. And I quote, I'm tired of killing people. You do it. An affidavit quotes Shane Harrison as saying, no, you do it, replied Esther Beckley, according to the account Beckley allegedly gave to John. But when he threw her the gun, she fired. According to Esther, none of that was true. She did not kill anyone. She was only bragging to John to try to be impressive. Yeah, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe I do. I don't know. That one, they're, they're fucking weird. They're weird. They're weird and cruel and seem to think of this as like a game. Nobody yeah. seems to really understand that they murdered people. Innocent victims. Yeah. A couple of them were essentially children. God, yeah. I just, it's so, uh, they've got this weird mindset. Yeah, like it's a game. And like, who can win, sort of. There's a weird who can win vibe to it, you know? There is. There's a weird who can win vibe. So Shane gave a statement to the police upon his arrest on March 12th, 1996, admitting that he bought the shotgun and the Tech 9, which were used in the five murders, and found in his apartment after his arrest. Now Shane, in his statement to the police and his testimony at trial, claimed that Esther told him that Esther and others committed the crimes. So according hmm. to Shane, he wasn't even there. Okay, well, that's all right. Incorrect, but yep. okay. Shane testified at trial that he bought the guns for John. Mm-hmm. And that Esther ended up taking the guns. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. He testified that he lent his car and his neighbor's jacket to Esther on the night of the crimes and that he stayed home by himself. At least lie better. Yes. Like, get good, motherfucker. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're just so dumb. I know. I know. Imagine researching this case. <laughs> So I read court documents. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. It's not pretty. I made the most horrifying little creature. 
Oh, I love it. I don't. It's so creepy. Why does He's... it have a belly button? It's a teddy bear. I don't bear. know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't judge me. I'm judging you. Thanks. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> he claimed that Esther came back to his apartment at approximately 5 a.m. on Sunday, March 3rd, and told him he should get rid of the jacket because it had blood on it. So Shane testified that Esther also told him to change the tires on his car because it was used in the murders. He stated that he did buy new tires. Okay. What? What? I don't even know if anybody asked him about the tires. He just kind of offered that one up. I'm so confused. They're so weird. They don't, it's like they don't know how crime works at all. Like they watched a movie about crime once. Once. And then thought it was, yeah, one (laughs) one movie, no more. One movie about crime. Yeah, Yeah. one episode of Law and Order and then we're like, yep, we got this. What? We we can do this. We Mm -hmm. can be just absolute scum oh jesus shane testified that he and another man drove to the mountains and shane dug up the guns after the murders which were in the black duffel bag because apparently esther had buried them out there and then shane took them back to his apartment and that's why the police found the guns in his apartment okay weird that's yeah it's also convoluted (laughs) just i like i'm I'm having trouble keeping track i guess yeah, because they don't actually make sense they're yeah. constantly going like like esther maintains that she never shot anybody that she never did anything <sighs> but she was there and she did help but then shane is like totally out of left field and he's like i wasn't even there esther took all my stuff and then I had to go get my guns from the mountains and bring them back home. And that's why the police found the guns in my house. It's like he, if Esther is lying, she's at least lying to the point of believability. Believability, right? If Shane is lying, it's like just he took a left at Albuquerque. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, none, none of their shit makes sense. So here is where there isn't as much justice as I would like. But there is still quite a bit of justice that came through here. A jury found Shane guilty of 19 counts, but was able to reach unanimous verdicts on the three counts of murder for the death of Jawanda, Zachary, and Mylin. I think this was because of all that he said. She said the jury just couldn't, without a doubt, state that he was guilty of those three murders. Yeah. Shane was sentenced to two consecutive life terms plus an additional 198 years, totaling the term of 258 years in prison. He's in there forever. He, yeah. Good. I would have liked them to have been charged with the deaths of Jawanda, Zachary, and Mylin. Yeah. But that, unfortunately, did not end up happening. But there was still justice. He's still in prison for the rest of his life. Thank God. Esther pled guilty to 10 charges and she got a plea deal because she spewed her side of the story and threw Shane under the bus. Yeah. So she was able to plead guilty to 10 charges that included two counts of first degree felony murder of the McDougal's armed robbery and kidnapping. As a part of her agreement, the death penalty was taken off the table. At trial, she said, I wish I could turn back the clock and change it all. 
I wish I had never met John or Shane or any of them. She was sentenced to 95 and a half years behind bars. Boy, oh, I sure wish I hadn't killed people. Really? Really, lady. I don't know. Like, she's some horrible victim in this. I just can't. I know. I just can't either. And that concludes the Hollywood video murders. Uh, This case is upsetting and senseless. And the way that these two just treat it as a cool tale that they got to brag about and blame each other for honestly makes me angry. Yep. It's, it's, the disconnecting from the crime is, it's just so strange to me. Yeah. It is really, it's really strange to me too, honestly. Fucking, You know, sometimes some of the murderers you can like feel something for. You sort of feel something for Jennifer Pan. You sort of feel complete hatred towards uh, what's his face, the not the weird weird voice guy. I forget his name. Oh, from the other um, episode. Can't believe I actually have to pull up our episodes. No, I don't remember his name. I blocked most of that out. That one out actually. Yeah, it's the girly two Hassenkopf yes. case. So it's Diazine Hassenkopf. Yes. yes. You feel disgust for Diazine Hassenkopf. Yeah. Yeah. These people, I'm just sort of like fucking idiots. They're so, yeah. so fucking dumb. And like, I feel it. The, the fact that people died and were murdered is, is absolutely terrible and horrific and should have, should have never happened because these fucking dumbasses got a wild hair about them that they were going to kill people like it's just so strange i know the nonchalant way that they went about thinking like oh it's a robbery and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna rob the place but then you know i'm not i'm gonna make sure i don't leave any witnesses yeah it's like why didn't you wait until the place was empty yeah broken in and taken everything like why did there have to be people involved exactly it's so fucking weird they're so weird and disconnected. Yeah. And they're they're weird little fucking pissing match. <sighs> Sorry, I'm I'm angry now. Yeah, I know. That's I feel the same. I was so upset learning about this case because they're just fuckwads. I don't yeah. know what else to say. Yeah. God. Well, you want to wind down with our tarot card? Yeah, sure. That felt short. It was. It was a little shorter than our usual episodes. We're 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 getting back into the swing of things. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Our lives have been I'm choosing, chaotic. I'm choosing episodes that don't have to turn into two-parters. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The one that I want to do that I was talking about um, last time is is going to be very possibly a three-parter. Let's go for it. I think that'll yeah. be great to do after we do our little surprise. Yes. Our, our four-part surprise. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Uh, so the tarot card for this episode, I actually pulled the Hermit. Now, Ooh. the Hermit shows that you are needing to take a break from everyday life to draw your energy and attention inward and find the answers you seek deep within your soul. I definitely think I, I pulled you. this card for myself. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I'm going through a process where I'm taking space and time and and introspection in a really large and deep and intimate way. I absolutely resonate with the hermit right now. So. Not feeling so called out this time. Just a little bit, but not not so much. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, I know this episode was a little bit shorter than our usual episodes, but thank you so much for joining us and. I actually have the notes already done for next week's episode, so you guys aren't going to get 
like a couple week gap. <laughs> Luckily, we will be recording the next episode next week and getting that one out. As so, I, I'm hoping we might actually get on like a normal, consistent schedule now. That's <laughs> my goal. Uh, so, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Remember, we're all human and imperfect. So, <laughs> and our lives like to go up in flames as often as possible. Yeah, they do. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Be sure to take time for yourselves. Take time for your hearts. Maybe take time for some inward meditation like the hermit is telling you to do be kind to your sweet baby hearts and minds and we'll talk at you guys next week see ya bye bye you can rate and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at True Crime Tea Hour.